Hey there, uh, my name is Franklin Kibueta and I'm welcoming you to this session of Geopol Talks. If you ask anybody what they'll remember 2024, uh, one word is likely to pop up, COVID-19, even for you, right? Uh, the pandemic came and left virtually no region untouched. Uh, it, t- it changed both the daily habits of uh, of, of most people and you know uh, what their financial outlooks look like. Um, at the same time last year, we wouldn't have thought that mask usage and social distancing would be the essentials they are now. Uh, business-wise, uh, most sectors have had to adjust to drastic shifts in individual habits uh, and supply chains worldwide have been severely disrupted. Now, coming to sub-Saharan Africa, uh, we have thankfully not experienced as many COVID-19 cases as other regions. But countries throughout the region have been uh, under varying levels of restrictions which have nevertheless um, had a huge impact on life. In July 2020, uh, Geopold ran a report uh, which found that 76% in six countries in sub-Saharan Africa had lost income due to COVID-19. And that figure figure is obviously uh, influenced in large part by the large uh, percentage of the population who operate in the informal economy. Um, Organizations including the World Bank and the WFP have warned of the rise in food insecurity due to high prices for goods and consumer loss, among other factors. Uh, Income has dropped, uh, which has impacted spending and shopping habits, which in turn is likely to have impacts on both brands and mid agencies for months to come. And what that what that might do is um, it, it could spur longer term changes in the usage of things like online shopping uh, and mobile money throughout the region, uh, as well as you know, entire economies. Now, in November 2020, uh, Geopol conducted yet another study in, in, in six African countries. Uh, that is Cote d'Ivoire, the DRC, Kenya, Mozambique, Nigeria, and South Africa uh, to gauge how life have changed throughout 2020, uh, people's views on the future. And now that there's talk about um, COVID-19 vaccines, uh, what the people's willingness to take the, vac- the vaccine looks like. Uh, joining us on this session today is... Um, Roxana Elliott, uh, who is Geopol's VP of Marketing and Content. Now, Roxy has been driving these coronavirus studies and uh, she will take us through um, through the findings and then I'll invite another pe- panelist to you know, talk about some, um, some other highlights. Welcome, Roxy. Hi, thank you for having me. So we've done four five, maybe six studies on coronavirus, uh, mostly in Africa, um, and and what its impact has been. Could you give us an overview of what the surveys have been covering and why we decided to do them? Yeah. Um, yeah, so Geopol um, does a lot of internal reports. We've done them in the past on topics uh, ranging from consumer behavior to we've done some on um, the World Cups and AFCON when those have been going on. Um, and 
this year in March, when uh, coronavirus was starting to pop up as a news item, you know, we were tracking that um, and pretty quickly realized it was going to be um, a big topic for the year. I think when we did our first study, I did not quite realize how big of a topic it would be. Um, but it was already sort of becoming clear that we should do at least one study on it. So it was actually pretty early on in mid-March, um, around the time when the U.S. really started uh, shutting down um, in the middle of March that we decided to run our first study. And we ran that one in um, Kenya, South Africa, and Nigeria. And that was really just to get a sense, have people heard of coronavirus? Do they know how to prevent it from spreading? Um, and how concerned people are? There were really pretty few cases in those countries at that time. So we wanted to see what the perceptions were like. Um, Geopol, as you know, our main hub is in Nairobi, and we Africa is one of the, the main places that we focus throughout the region. So we were able to do an SMS study there, um, and we knew we could do we could get results quite quickly from those three countries, which is why we we did those three to start with. Um, so that first study showed pretty high levels of both awareness and concern um, over coronavirus. People were already concerned about the economic impacts of it, um, and there was some knowledge already on how to um, avoid getting coronavirus, especially around personal hygiene. Um, so that was good to see, but, and then um, we sort of expanded that for our next studies, which took place more at uh, the sort of first height of coronavirus. I believe they the next round was run in um, April, and then we had a third round run in May, and we expanded those to um, 10 countries. So across the region, uh, we had countries in Eastern, uh, West, and Southern Africa, and you know several different languages. So really got a wider range of respondents, um, and that asked more in de more in depth questions about COVID. Um, also found um, you know levels of fear were pretty high, perceptions of risks were also quite high, and people had um, concerns around things like food security. Um, and then from there, we've done a couple of more studies, and we actually wanted to dig deeper into the economic impact because that was uh, really coming through in our first few studies that that was the area people were most concerned about. So we wanted to see how much people are being impacted economically. Um, and so that was our second most recent report that was released in July, um, was specifically on the economic impact of coronavirus, which had really striking results. Um, I think 76% of people said that their income had decreased. We also, um, we looked at the sample and the respondents in terms of what job types they had. And we found that informal workers, which make up uh, some estimates say up to 90% of the um, economy in certain countries in Sub-Saharan Africa, uh, informal workers were being more hard hit by uh, losing their jobs and having a decrease in income. So really clear economic impacts. Um, people are concerned about paying their expenses. Um, and yeah, that study 
had really interesting findings um, and that was in July. And then we took a bit of a break and then our most recent one was conducted in November. And this was sort of a holistic view, if you will, on the entire year, how lives has changed. You know, we are over eight months into the pandemic. Um, restrictions in the countries studied for this latest report, um, which included six countries. They've gone up and down. Um, you know, South Africa, for example, had really strict restrictions um, towards the beginning of the pandemic because they've had the most reported cases um, in Africa. Uh, Kenya has had restrictions go up and down at times. And some of the other countries uh, by now have loosened restrictions because they haven't seen such a surge in cases. So we wanted to see how everyone's doing, um, how routines have changed, and if they've really gotten back to normal yet. Um, and also still look at how it, you know, have people recovered their uh, personal finances and are, is their economic outlook better now than it was um, in our last study? Is it worse? And what are they feeling for, um, what are their sort of predictions for the future? Um, we also asked about vaccine perceptions, both overall and in relation to the uh, COVID-19 vaccine, because uh, recently there's been a lot of news about the vaccine and it's now being rolled out in some countries. So I wanted to see how, how people in the countries studied uh, what their perceptions were of the vaccine. Great, thanks. Thanks a lot for that summary. And uh, before we switch over to you know, uh, what the findings have been for this latest report, uh, no, you've you've mentioned uh, changes to routines, and and, and yeah, it's it's been one of the most interesting years ever, like in my life, because uh, you know, many businesses closed. Um, or were affected negatively in, in, in many ways, um, especially for some sectors like hospitality and the like uh, that deal yeah. with people. Uh, a lot of people lost their jobs um, or had their incomes reduced um, in, 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 in varying degrees. And of course, the day-to-day -day changes that happened almost to everyone. Um, my personal experience, um, so like us at Geopol have worked almost exclusively from home since March, which no one would have guessed uh, that you know, we could like, leave the office and start working from home, uh, you know, be wearing masks and keeping away from people. Um, I mean, who would have guessed in February that going home for Christmas and, and the holidays this year would be such a difficult decision. Um, yeah, the, the change has been great. And um, before you take us through the main findings, um, I was I was looking at the report and you know, a huge percentage, like 87% of the respondents said their their routines have changed um, in in varying degrees since the the pandemic started and. While, uh, as you mentioned, um, some normality seems to be creeping in um, due to changes in you know, government restrictions and the like. Um, while, while that has been happening, um, still a big percentage of 55% of the 
of the respondents were saying that you know, um, their routines have either not returned to normal at all, or or there has been you know, a small a small change in their day-to-day -day routines and. Uh, this, this and other pressures uh, seem to be taking a toll on physical and mental health. Um, apart from those who got infected by the virus, you know, like me, uh, and uh, you know, there is a bigger percentage that has been affected emotionally. Um, so, yeah. for, for for three percent said. Um, their mental health has either been a little or much worse, uh, has been either a little or much worse than last year, which uh, personally, I think uh, you know, those in the medical fraternity and governments, and I think everyone else should be taking note of uh, because we already have you know, a, a problem of mental health and this looks like is is setting the tone for uh, even greater problems um, for an already existing problem. Um, but now, uh, digressing um, for those pointers uh, to this emotional stress, uh, what caused what what is causing it, and more findings from the report. I'll turn it over back to you, Roxy, to give us the report's major highlights and um, you've already you've already spoken about um, you know how some of uh, how the previous um, the previous reports compared to the other reports uh, but you could also touch uh, a bit on how this report compares with the other report uh, with the, uh, with the other reports that we did uh, through the year great yeah. Yeah, we found some really interesting findings, as you said, um, in this report regarding, yeah, how people are feeling emotionally as a result of COVID, which is something we hadn't asked previously. Um, you know, obviously everyone's had, I think almost no one can say they haven't had a large disruption to their routine this year, which can be, you know, really hard to deal with. We're not going into the office and seeing people anymore. Um, but what we really found from this study is the financial stress and financial um, impact on people is one of the big drivers of that um, decrease in, in mental or emotional health. So a lot of people um, in, in countries that are experiencing bigger financial impacts, that's where people have said their mental health has gotten worse or much worse. Um, people who have had decreased incomes, they are feeling bigger mental health impacts. Um, we also found, we asked about the biggest challenges overall. So we asked first about you know, how people are doing physically and emotionally. And then we said, what is their biggest challenge overall? And we did include both emotional well-being and physical health as options there, but we actually found 55% said finances is their biggest challenge. Um, and so finances are really driving a lot of the stress. Um, and then 23% said staying home is their challenge, but we had a follow-up on that question. Um, and of those who said staying home is the challenge, 44% uh, said it's actually because they're not able to work. So that's still sort of related to finances and 
related to, you know, changes in routine to, because they're not able to work from home. You know, a lot of jobs don't, don't allow working from home. So, and then 27% of those did say that, you know, not able, not able to see friends and family is the reason why staying home is, is a big challenge at the moment. Um, so those findings were really interesting. Uh, I think we will probably do some follow-up questions on those topics and in, in studies we run next year. Um, but we did also see, in addition to the economic impact, so the, this study found that still 79% actually say their income has decreased even since June. So clearly there's still a huge economic impact and it has not really gotten better um, over the past few months. Um, in fact, it seems to be getting worse. So that is definitely of great concern. But I will say people seem somewhat optimistic about the next year. Um, I think probably because there is news of a vaccine coming. Um, you know, cases in some countries are down, though. In some of the countries we we did the survey in like Kenya, it is going back up. So it varied a bit dependent on country. But um, in the next year, in terms of personal finances, 65% overall think that their personal finances will actually get better. Um, and then in terms of their country economy, 51%, so a bit less, um, but their country's economy, they think will get better. So about half think their country will also experience um, an increase in, in their economy or th their economy will improve in the next year. Uh, so clearly, you know, that's good to see that there is some optimism. We also found relatively high levels of acceptance of a COVID-19 uh, vaccine. Um, again, it did vary a bit based on country, um, but in countries such as South Africa and Kenya, close to 70% are saying that they will either definitely or probably get a vaccine if it was available for free today. Um, it was a bit lower in uh, the Democratic Republic of Congo and Cote d'Ivoire, uh, whether that's because of them having uh, less less cases in those countries and therefore less impact currently on their lives, um, or it's because of some other reason that we didn't look into in this study. We're not sure, but it did vary by country. So, you know, I think people are looking forward to a vaccine, um, but they're also concerned about when they'll actually get it. Uh, we had, you know, about 31% think they'll get it in the first half of 2021. But the biggest percentage, uh, almost 40%, are not sure <clears throat> when they're going to get the vaccine. And that's something I think everyone is um, is waiting on at the moment. No one really knows unless you're in a high-priority group um, when, when you'll get it. Uh, so I think that is something that is also important for us to continue looking at in some of our next studies. Great. Uh, personal question. Um, do you think next year will be better than this year? <laughs> um, I think <laughs> I I think overall next year will be better than this year. I think the first, you know, maybe even the first six months are still going to be pretty hard. Um, but I do think now um, there is at least it's sort of the beginning of the end um, that we have a vaccine um, that has been approved. Of course, there are going to be a lot of challenges around distribution. Um, people like myself, who, you know, is not in a high risk group, is going to 
take a while for me to actually get it. Um, but I do think in total, 2021 will be better. I think, you know, it may not feel very different until um, the second half of the year. But um, yes, I I feel the same optimism. I think that the people in our in our survey did as well. Uh, who do you think should take a deeper look at this report? Um, I think definitely people who are interested in who are going to be working on vaccine distribution um, in the countries that we surveyed, because we also asked about overall perceptions of vaccine, including vaccine safety and vaccine effectiveness. Um, we found or the, the World Health Organization has actually said that vaccine hesitancy is one of the biggest threats to public health that has been increasing um, in the past few years. And that is the case in, in countries in Africa, as well as countries like the United States. Um, and we know that we're not going to actually completely eradicate coronavirus until a large portion of the population has immunity um, through either vaccination or actually getting the virus. So I think, you know, there should be educational campaigns going on um, all over the world right now around the vaccine, you know, that it's safe, that it's effective, um, and why large numbers should be taking it. So I definitely think um, policymakers uh, who are going to be working on vaccine distribution and uh, campaigns to get more people to take the vaccine should be looking at this. Um, and also, you know, those who are looking at um, the, the economic impact, since there was such huge economic impact, we found also that spending on essentials has gone up this year because uh, likely because food prices have gone up in a lot of places. Um, supply chains are having challenges. So um, organizations that are distributing aid or governments who are working on economic relief packages, um, they could all find valuable information from this on who is really suffering and what help they might need to get through the next year. Thanks a lot, Roxy. Uh, now, let's go to the crowd. Uh, I'm, I'm joined by John Paul Murunga, or simply JP, that's what we call him. And uh, now JP is Geopol's Regional Director for East Africa and leads our team and client interactions across East Africa. In the study, uh, in the study Rox was talking us through, uh, East Africa is represented by Kenya and JP is here to give us his insights uh, for Kenya. Welcome JP. Now, um, JP, we have all faced the brunt of um, of the major happening of 2020, COVID-19. Uh, we will start with you personally. What what has your experience been like uh, in 2020? What has changed for you? 2020 as a year has been very challenging uh, for most people. All of us, I think, have, have gone through a lot of challenges at an individual level at a work level. Um, personally, by the virtue of how we do our work at Geopo, we've been working remotely since March of, uh, of this year, April, March of this year. So you can imagine how tough that has been, uh, given the fact that we are in a people business. And when we're in a people business, it requires you to have interactions with clients, have conversations with them. 
so the need to switch from you know being able to meet clients face to face and you know listen to their needs to getting to you know look for them online and uh, that 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 personal touch with clients I think one was one of the biggest challenges that we had to face at the beginning. Uh, but we 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 worked around that. Um, so th- there's been a lot of challenges in how we execute our work and how we 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 engage with clients and how we support them. But we found solutions around uh, around this. It wasn't easy. Um, at an individual level, I work with teams across multiple countries, and that that has meant so having conversations with them online. Not being able to, for instance, travel to to to, to those markets and you know, having conversations with those clients, we had many plans that we had um, put forward for, for how we wanted to execute things, uh, client events and the like. So all those things had to be reworked, and yeah, that that required a lot of um, a lot of flexibility from ourselves, and also a lot of understanding from the client side because. A couple of clients also had to go through the transition of uh, adapting to new ways of doing business. So that, that's how 2020 has been. Uh, a lot of disruption and also a lot of uh, need for us to be patient and to adapt to the, the, the nature of things as, as, as and when they, they happen. I know, right? Crazy. Now, uh, let's turn to the study Geopol conducted on the year that has been and specifically the consumer side. Uh, knowing you as a businessman, uh, what were your major highlights on changes to consumer spending habits and how can businesses use these findings? Yes, we did that study and we've been doing a series of COVID-19 studies across uh, 2020 ever since um, COVID-19 pandemic hit the continent. And we've seen you know, consumers evolving over time. So from the latest study that we have uh, just done, we've seen a couple of things from the way consumers are spending uh, their money that is worth noting. So number one item is that the spend for essential stuff in terms of just the amount of money that is spent on essential stuff has gone up. And then the this, spend this for non-essential stuff has, has gone down. But besides, you know, the, the actual spend uh, for essential stuff going up, which is usually linked to the fact that probably the prices for basic commodities went up. And with the economic depression, it means that the amount of money uh, available, you know, for actual this spend w- was lower. Um, we've also seen generally that consumers have changed their, their habits in terms of how what they spend their money on and how they spend their money. So you'll see that, for instance, for the non-essential things, like the likes of beauty products, um, they have taken a hit, and people are no longer uh, spending as much as they would on this. You'll see, for instance, things like uh, spending on holiday, uh, this uh, year will go down. Um, we're also seeing consumers finding ways of adapting to 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 to, to, to the way they spend their money on on, 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 on products. Yeah. So you'll find um, for instance if you know you customers or consumers wouldn't eat out, they're now eating from the households. So consumers are adapting and finding different ways uh, to rationalize their spend and 
also uh, spend only where that's necessary uh, because there has been a strain on the financial side of things. Um, we've also seen cases where, and we've seen this in previous studies that we did, where um, consumers are buying products in bulk um, as opposed to buying in smaller quantities. That happened at the at the beginning when, when COVID-19 had just hit. And this was these were all behaviors that are linked to uh, survival mode and, and, and you know, people doing things to, to try and, uh, and to get the circumstances that are there. Still on consumers, uh, and especially on online shopping and mobile banking. For me, um, if I could share my experience, uh, for long stretches of time, uh, I have been using mobile money, you know, uh, perhaps about maybe over 95% of the time. Um, and where I can, I have shopped online. Uh, what did you learn from these findings? Uh, people in Kenya shifting more to mobile money and online shopping with the pandemic? Yeah, online, uh, and I begin with mobile money in the first place. Mobile money in Kenya as a, as a country, if you compare it to the other countries that we did, we, did, we did the survey in, generally Kenya has a higher penetration of mobile money because of uh, this penetration and, and just how successful M-Pesa has been. However, from the survey, we see um, the highest proportion of people who say they, 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 there has been an increase in terms of usage of mobile money uh, being recorded in Kenya. And this is one, in my view, linked to the, the government subsidies that were, that were directed towards mobile money. Remember when government generated the payment of 1,000, any, any payments below 1,000 shillings, and, and that allowed people to easily make transactions even at, at, uh, at, at the points where they're buying uh, small products. So that allowed people to transact easily during the COVID-19 period. And then we also saw that there was a campaign to push people to stop paper money payments. And the fact that mobile money are taken into the country, it made transactions a lot easier. So you'll find cases where, for instance, right now, when you're buying even your groceries, you easily pay money to the person who is selling for your groceries. And they don't have to worry because they know that as long as their money is less than a thousand shillings, then they're not in any cost, whether they're sending it or whether they're withdrawing their money. So that makes it easy to spend, especially on the, on the, on the small commodities. And the other thing that has also you know, increased you know, mobile money is also linked to online shopping. We've seen um, change in distribution models even for the likes of supermarkets, Wines and spirit shops, they are moving more towards uh, being able to, to, to deliver products to, con- to consumers by the household because people are afraid to go out and, and, and in public places and, and do shopping. So you'll find in you know, supermarkets, shops, uh, the likes of pharmacies, you know, allowing people to, to pay for products uh, and have this product delivered to them. And of course, the easiest way to do that was to use mobile money. So there's been a lot of increase in terms of the usage of mobile money. Number one, and then also the interlinkage between the use of mobile money and online shopping, and the convenience of being able to shop uh, remotely instead of mm-hmm. you know having yourself going out there and interacting with um, with people because of the the need to social distance. So those those have been the, some of the dynamics that we have seen, and we've also seen businesses adapting to this, you know, uh, changing their distribution models. Literally every single business right now has to have a 
uh, a point of contact in which they are able to distribute uh, products uh, remotely. And you will see even if you go to these uh, to these uh, distribution platforms, likes of you know uh, Glovo and Julia, you will see the, the portfolio of products that are actually being sold in those platforms pre-COVID and after COVID. It's increased massively. Yeah, so they move from, for instance, just delivering fast food and the like to actually delivering shopping and mm. uh, you know even bigger products. So, so that uh, evolution has sort of like happened. Um, naturally as a result of uh, COVID-19 and, and, you know, the changing uh, consumer behavior and needs that, that have been there in the market. And do you think these findings, especially from Kenya, can be applied to the rest of the countries in East Africa? There's a lot of similarity with what we're seeing in Kenya, uh, with the likes of Uganda and lots of Tanzania as well, uh, because you remember these, these markets are only share a border. So you'll find that you, you, you what, what's for instance you, you're seeing with Jumia, you will see with another you know a product in Uganda and the same in Tanzania. Though their reaction towards COVID has been different, let's also keep that in mind. And mm. some of these conveniences that the online platforms and the and the and the remote way of payment are, are bringing will naturally find their way into these countries, even if they are not being pushed so hard uh, as much as Kenya has been. We've always seen these this, uh, advantages or these products trickle down because we also have a lot of similarities in products that are, that are being transacted and, and used across, across these three countries. That's, that's insightful. And yeah, I, I also think it was a great uh, idea having a representative from each region in Africa because, um, for example, what applies in Kenya might apply to some degree in the other countries in East Africa. Uh, same uh, same case with uh, with with South Africa for Southern Africa, Nigeria for West Africa, and and, and the others. Um, now I was talking to Roxy earlier and telling her that the findings on physical and especially mental health are concerning, at least to me. Now uh, Kenya had the worst outlook um, in this from the countries surveyed. And I saw uh, Kenya had the biggest number of respondents reporting rising physical and uh, and mental issues due to all this. What did you gather from the report, and what do you think uh, should be done? Yeah, the the the, the effects of COVID nineteen have you know go beyond just the, the, the ramifications of the disease itself, and you know being some people being sick and and you know the the, the healthcare system. Uh, so there is also the, the economic front and, and and very linked, very closely linked to that is the emotional uh, health of, of respondents. And what we have seen is that the the, the emotional dis, you know, distress is closely linked to the economic uh, challenges that you currently have. So inability to earn money and being able to put food on the table has been one of the biggest uh, drivers of, of the mental challenges that we are seeing from, from respondents. What do we need to do? Uh, the first thing that I think be done is that the government needs to be very careful and be sensitive on some of the policies that they're trying to push across. So you see, for instance, um, the, the policies that were put in uh, on, on task, tax benefits uh, to the consumers, uh, we've, we've read online, I mean, from the media that the government will be looking to draw back some of those benefits at the beginning of the year. That will affect uh, people, so that's something that, that needs to be to be done to to to, to hopefully. Um, in my view, we should 
keep that so that at least we'll be able to pass on some of those benefits to the consumers. The second thing is that I think brands need to be very supportive and to be seen to be supportive to consumers um, and also to show a bit of empathy. And what, what do I mean by here? What I mean here is that brands need to come up with solutions that consumers see as being supportive to them. So it could be that, for instance, you are offering things like promotion, you are uh, offer, you know, putting out communication that says that you, you, know, you are with your customers, you understand their needs, and you, you are trying as much as possible. Thanks. Uh, we are coming to a close, but um, let's talk briefly through the findings on vaccine acceptance. Um, Kenyans were loud in their need for vaccines, uh, which is quite encouraging. What were your thoughts on, on the findings? Yes, I just wanted to mention that uh, we also had very good feedback with regards to the vaccine, in the sense that there is very good, there is interest, and the consumers are saying they 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 they'll be willing to take up the vaccine. So what this means is that there's optimism and openness. However, safety is a key concern that must be addressed by the government and agencies involved. And then also caution needs to be taken so that the gains that we've already done with regards to you know, hand washing and being careful uh, are not lost in the process of uh, us saying that the vaccine is, is, is in the horizon. But it is positive to see that majority of the population are willing and are looking forward to taking the vaccine when it's made available. Yeah, the Kenya numbers are quite good. 68% saying they would definitely or probably take the vaccine um, if it comes in. Um, shows there won't be much resistance as we have seen in some places correct all right thanks thanks a lot jp uh for coming to geopol talks okay so happy to have been all right uh finally let's cycle back to roxy on our work at geopol so we managed to run over 4.4 million surveys in a particularly difficult year for a lot of sectors. Uh, what do you think helped us achieve that milestone? Yeah, um, I think really our team um, is gets all the credit for what we've been able to achieve this year. Um, our entire team really stepped up uh, to be able to run all the surveys we ran this year and collect really important insights um, that are helping people around the world, whether it's looking at like our studies did the economic impact or for clients, you know, we're looking at more specific issues so that clients can like international organizations can make sure that, um, you know, the right aid is delivered to the right populations. So I think it's really all due to the geopol team. Um, a lot of the team's been with the company for a while and everyone really stepped up and, and worked hard this year to get it done. I think recognizing the importance of, of what we were doing um, and that we had a chance to really help due to the remote nature of our, our research that we um, that we're able to do. And of course, the system and the platform that we have built over the past, uh, you know, eight or 10 years that Geopol has been around. We have a pretty robust system. We have a large database of respondents who take our surveys. And the fact that we've been building that over the past few years means that we were ready to go when um, a big crisis like this 
happened. Thanks for those insights, Roxy and uh, JP earlier. Uh, it was just quite an insightful session and uh, I hope to see you again uh, on another session. Thanks everyone for joining this session of Geopol Talks. Uh, we hope to see you again and remember you can get this report for free from the Geopol website www.geopol.com as well as other great uh, surveys that we've done recently. Thanks a lot and see you next time. Bye-bye.